0: You're listening to the audio ministries of First Baptist Church of Troy, Texas. You're invited to join us for live and in-person morning worship every Sunday morning at 1045 a.m. Visit fbctroytx.org for a list of our activity times and family-centered community ministries. Now here's today's message. All right. Hey, uh, as we're getting started, open your Bibles up to Matthew. Chapter 28, verse 19. That's the first book in the New Testament, by the way. Shouldn't be too hard to find. Matthew 28, 19. The old, old story. Isn't that something that when everything is made new and we are with Jesus, where all things will be new and all of the old will have passed away, the old, old story will go on forever. Isn't that great? We will be... Trophies of the grace of the Lord Jesus for all eternity, and every person who walks down the streets of gold, the uh, Jesus and the Father and the Spirit can say, "Trophy of grace, right there, one over there." Testimony to the glory of God, who could rescue mankind from sin and condemnation and death and Satan and hell and all of those things. What a mighty God we serve, Amen. Let me pray for us. Lord in heaven, we come to you this morning with our Bibles open because we want to learn something from you and we ask that you would teach us this morning. Lord, I would ask for grace to be able to speak well and wisely um, from the things that I've looked at. Um, you know, Lord, as we look at the Great Commission, as we look at uh, Matthew 28 and um, Father, we, we've heard it a lot over the years and a, a lot of us are very familiar with it. But I pray, Lord, that you would help us to be able to cut through the familiarity to see again, Lord, this, this commission that you've given us, this command that Jesus gave before he went back to heaven. Because it is the mission of the church. And we want to be able to carry it out the way you've called us to. And so we need you to be at work in our hearts to show us what needs to be changed, um, to encourage us, Lord and uh, to give us the strength and the divine enablement to be able to, to go forward and, and do what You've given us to do. And so I pray that You teach us this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. About, I don't know, it's been a few years ago, my wife came to me and <clears throat> she had um, a uh, something she'd found on the internet of this like picnic table, kitchen table design thing that she really liked. And she said, hey, do you think you could build one of these? And I was like, no, <laughs> you don't understand. I don't build things, Legos, maybe, if there's good instructions, but I don't build things. And at that point, I had never done any woodworking. I mean, the most woodworking I think I had done was, it was plastic. I put a model of an airplane together when I was like in middle school. And so that was pretty much the extent of my woodworking skills. Victor, he, he does this stuff, he's laughing at me down here. <laughs> but anyway, so she comes to me and so I, I look at it and I'm like, no, nah, I can't do that. And it went on. So just... A little later, when she wasn't looking, I snuck over to the Google machine and I pulled it up and I just began to look at it. I wasn't going to do anything with it. I just wanted to look, which, as you all know, is the first step on the downward slide to doing something you didn't think you would do. Is, I'm just going to look at it. Um, and then you know how that goes. So anyway, I began to look at it, began to study it. And this is like novice woodworking. You know, a, a seventh grader could do this for, you know, the fair or whatever. But um, I began to look at it and I started to see how the cuts were, the pieces and everything. I thought, well, I, I might be able to do something like that. So I had ah, one of these days, <laughs> set it aside. Fast forward a few years and I, we needed, we were kind of looking into a new kitchen table. And I don't know if you've priced any of those things, but whoa. Uh-huh. But uh, yeah. And so I, I reopened the interest. So I got back on the Google machine. I pulled it back up, and I'm like, well, I didn't wear glasses then, so we'll hide these. <laughs> it was good vision back in those days, and so I just looked at that nine-point font on my computer screen with no problem at all, but uh, anyway, so I thought, I think I could do this, and you had to have something called a miter saw. I'm like, I don't know what a miter saw is, and you had to do this thing called, um, they had a, a, a countersink, and I thought the countersink is like where you go wash your hands. Get on over to the countersink and wash your hands, boy. Um but it's some kind of, it's a, anyway, it leaves a, a hole where you can hide the head of a screw. And so it's, uh, anyway, so I'm looking at all this stuff and I'm like, well, what in the, so I, I went to a garage sale, found a used miter saw. And um, so yeah, I didn't even know, well actually I plugged it in and it did work. So the blade spun, I thought it's a good start. And it had a big, big old rough construction blade on it. Anybody who works with, you know, you want to do finer cuts, you got to have a blade with more teeth on it. And this has about seven teeth all the way around it. So yeah. <laughs> You're gonna make some big rugged cuts, and anyway, so I get all this stuff, and I go down to Lowe's, and I thought, well, I don't want to spend too much because I, I don't know if I can do this. So I got pine, you know, pine, the cheap. Well, I didn't get that poplar stuff. I got pine. Anyway, so I pick out all my wood, and, and I go home, and I start working on this table. And the thing that made this doable is that the instructions had pictures of everything. They had drawn out all the designs. You had your, your shopping list, go get this wood. I'm like, I can do that. It had your cut list. And I said, we'll see if I can do that. But it had all the measurements, you know, and so you're gonna have to, and it was 45 and 90 degree cuts, nothing fancy, really easy to do with my seven tooth bladed miter saw. Okay, it had more than seven you know, 12, I don't know, but anyway, so I start working on this thing and I would just, I printed it all out and I staple it. And so I've got this thing and I'm just going through the steps and it would say, this is what they need to look like. And you know, this is the length. And so I would cut it and I would measure it and it like that. I, I got it right. And it doesn't look bad. And so I'm kind of surprised as I'm going through this. Now I will tell you, I, I made some mistakes and that's, you know, you hop in the truck and you head back to Lowe's. Some of you have done this a few times. And so you actually spend more in gasoline than in materials. I've discovered over the years of trying to do things. But the, the thing that made it doable, like I said, was pictures of everything, because you had to put, you know, you had to make these cuts and you had to build the side leg pieces. And so there was, I'm looking at it and I'm gonna stack it together. I'm like, no. And then I restack it and I put it together. Well, the other one, I thought, well, I know how to do this one. I don't need to look at the picture again. Back to Lowe's, more wood. I did it wrong. You know, but uh, anyway, so I got through this, put it together, and you know what? It's in our kitchen table. I mean, it's in our kitchen. It is our kitchen table. We eat from it, and uh, it didn't fall apart. Now, when my boys decide they're going to stand on it, it kind of rocks, and I just see, you know. But then, I got another wild hair up. She wanted one for outside. like, I can do this. So I made a bigger one outside, and I made this one of cedar. Yeah, outside wood. New Pine wouldn't make it outside. I know that much. But anyway, so I made this one. I, I made some, um, some couches, outdoor couches. And they're not, again, they're nothing fancy, but for a novice. But all the while, I'd print out these plans, pictures, pictures, pictures. If you've tried to do anything, you know that pictures are worth a thousand words when it comes to trying to do something like that. Well, as we look at the Great Commission, to Today, we're going to focus in on the make disciples part of the Great Commission. And what I want to do today is hopefully give you a picture that you can have in your mind of what does Jesus mean when He says, make disciples. Okay? Because I think a lot of times we hear that, you know, go and make disciples of all the earth, and I am with you, blah, 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 blah. And you like, wow, okay, um, what does that look like? So that's our goal today, is I, is I want us to work through that. And so that when, when you leave today, that you would be able to have your printout of pictures and of what it means to make a disciple. And you can think, you know, man, I, I think if the Lord would help me, I could do that. I, I could be part of that. Because I think that a lot of times when we get to talking about the Great Commission and going to share the gospel and you know, communicating um, the nuts and bolts of how somebody can trust Christ to somebody that I know, you know or somebody that I might meet somewhere, it would be like, oh, ooh, heart starts beating fast. But what if, well, I don't know what to say. And what if I say the wrong thing? And what if they're all messed up? You know, and I, we struggle with thoughts like that. It can be a little unnerving, and then you start thinking about, well, well, like make a disciple, make a disciple. how do you make a disciple? What does that mean? We're going to see if we can figure that out this morning, and I hope we can. Matthew chapter twenty-eight. Let's read it again, verse nineteen. Jesus says, "Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to observe." All that I have commanded you, and I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Now Harlan got us started off last week talking about the authority of the Lord Jesus to send us into this world. And what did He send us to do? It's make disciples. So let's try to answer this question right at the beginning. What is a disciple? What is that? Well, the word used here in the original language, it's it's one who engages in learning through the instruction from another, a pupil or a student. Well, that's not too difficult to understand, right? It's related to another word that, that means to learn. So we got an idea that there is a person who wants to learn something from someone who can teach them something so that the person who learns can then do something they're not already able to do. And if you understand what I just said, you have a better brain than I do. (laughs) It's a learner, someone who comes to a teacher, if you will, to learn. And in Jesus' day, there were like, you've probably read in the the Gospels, or maybe you haven't, but there were the disciples of John the Baptist. There were the disciples of the Pharisees. So on the one hand, there would be like disciples, they were followers of a movement. They're interested in somebody's teaching, so they go, hmm, we will hear you. But then there was also the crowd of disciples who followed Jesus around. Now sometimes these folks are mistaken as like believers in Jesus. But they weren't always so. They're people who are like, we hear what you're saying. We're very interested. These miracles are fascinating and we would like to follow you around. But when Jesus started really laying down the cost of discipleship and saying strange things that they didn't understand, they were like, "Eh, this is too difficult for us. We're out. And they left. Okay, so that is how disciples is used. The one that we're probably most familiar with would be Jesus' twelve disciples. Okay, Peter, James, John, Nathaniel, and so forth. These were the ones, and this is what some disciples in that day would do. They would make a total life commitment to that teacher. Okay, they would seek them out and say, "Hey, I want to learn from you." Um, you know, the Apostle Paul studied under a rabbi, a very respected rabbi teacher named Gamaliel. So they had these learned men who were teachers, and they would take on disciples. And those disciples, I mean, they would come, they would listen, they would learn, they would sometimes pay money, they would, you know, do everything they could to stay close to this teacher so they could learn their ways and their way of life and, and, and gain from their knowledge. And so the twelve disciples, you know, when Jesus comes up to Peter and James and John and so forth on the seaside, and He says, follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. And you remember, what did they do? What does the Bible say that they did immediately? They left their nets, and they got up, and they followed him. Now, we know at least Peter was married. And so these guys get up, and, you know, James and John, their dad is right up there, and they're like, Dad, this rabbi just asked us to follow him. And in that day, it was kind of weird, because rabbis didn't seek out their students. The students sought out the rabbis. But Jesus goes... And he's seeking some men that he can build into. And of course, you know, it's the 12 disciples minus Judas in the end. And so they committed their entire life to him. So on a general level, a disciple was someone who committed their life to a teacher to gain from his knowledge and learn his way of life. That's just kind of a general um, concept of what a disciple was. So for our purposes, though, today, what is a disciple? A disciple. A disciple is someone who has trusted Christ for salvation and is growing in their knowledge of God and the application of His will. For our purposes, this side of the cross, they know Jesus, they have made a response of faith to the good news about Christ. They've trusted Him as Savior. And they are growing in their knowledge of who God is and taking His will that we find in the Scriptures and the Spirit feeds us to and putting it to work in their life. Okay? That, that's what we're talking about when we say make disciples. They're born again and they're growing in Christ. And so for Jesus' followers, making disciples, for us, for us, it's ultimately centered around calling people to put their faith in Jesus for salvation from sin and to experience a life-changing transformation along with other Christ followers together as a body. And so if we look at a definition for making disciples, what does it mean? It's the whole process of sharing Christ with the lost and growing together with the saved toward maturity as Jesus' followers. I think that's what it means to make disciples. It's a process. And it's got two parts. One is profoundly shorter than the other one, but no less significant because you can't become a disciple until you trust Jesus as your Savior. That's the first step. But once a person trusts Christ, then they gather with other Christians to grow together. And what I hope we learned this morning that growth as a disciple is never in the scriptures, is never intended that we do it alone. You know, I think sometimes in the church we get this idea that, that I, well, I get up early and I have my quiet time and and I connect with the Lord, and it's me and Jesus, and that's how I grow. Well, that is good, and we're going to learn that we've got to do that. But there's a whole lot more, because you and I were never intended to do the life of the, as, as a Christian alone, without other Christians to rub shoulders with. And so as we move forward, that is the definition that I, I want us to work with right there. What does it look like pictorially? This is the whole picture. Making disciples is balanced when we have evangelism. Jesus said, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, right? And we have training, teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. If you don't have one of those, what happens? Bonk. You don't have making disciples. Making disciples is not just evangelism, telling people how they can come to know Jesus as their Savior. Evangelism is great. We got to do it. But it's not only that. And discipleship is not only, okay, cool, you're saved. Let's get you into a discipleship program. You wouldn't get them there if they didn't get saved. And so, so it's the whole, the whole thing together. And this, this has been kind of a shift in my mind, I don't know, over the last little while, but this concept of seeing, making disciples as both of these. And as we share the gospel with the lost, and help people grow together toward maturity, we obey Christ. To the extent that we don't do one or both of those, we disobey Christ. That's about as bottom line as you can get. It really is, we're going to learn, a matter of obedience or disobedience to the Lord Jesus. Now, as we move forward here, <clears throat> I want you to see something here. First of all, making disciples is a command. All right? It's not an option. It's not for, you know, the, Jesus didn't say, hey, I want 10% of every church body to get out there and make some disciples. Nope. He said, go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in so forth. We've read that. Now, I want to highlight some things for you here. Look at this. See this part right here, this go and make disciples? Make disciples is the controlling verb of this entire sentence here. Greek's written in such a way that you can have, it, 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 like this is an imperative verb right here. Make disciples. It's a command. Do it. And the, uh, the word right in front of it, go, is not an imperative um, grammatical form. Fascinatingly enough. But the way that it's written, go picks up the imperative force from make disciples. And Harlan's going to talk more about go next week, so I'm going to move from, I'm going to go from go, all right? But it's an imperative. I mean, when when you give a those of you who have kids, or you know, if you're a, you know, you've got employees under your whatever, whatever, you got a dog, you know, you give a command, what do you expect to happen? Do it. This is not a choice. We're not going to discuss it. We're not going to argue about it. Do it or something's going to happen. Jesus didn't say, hey, you know, um, man, now that I'm resurrected and everything, well, life is good and kind of, you know, if you had some time and, and and if you were all caught up on your homework or you, know, you get a little extra time off of work, you think you could maybe kind of go tell some people about me because I've got some good stuff to offer them. Just let me know. Email me back. I'll... He didn't say it that way. Remember, authority. The living God who created the heavens and the earth says, Church, go make disciples. And so there's no opt out, there is only obedience or disobedience. Now, some of you are sitting there going, Oh my gosh, another one of those obedience disobedience sermons. I don't know what to do. It makes me feel so uncomfortable because I know I'm not doing that. I'm doing disobedience. Just hold on. <laughs> let, me, let me throw something down at you. Let me ask you this question. Would Jesus give us a command he would not enable us to do? Yes or no? No, he wouldn't. He wouldn't. I would never tell one of my kids, you know, hey, get over there and pick up that 500 pounds. I want to move by the end of the yard, by the other side of the yard by the end of the day. Come on. I would never tell them to do that. Number one, I can't do it. But I wouldn't tell them to do that. You're ridiculous. God will never command us to do something that He will not join with us and say, I will give you the strength and the power and the words and the wisdom to do what I want you to do. He is willing to join with us in the mission He has given to us to enable us to do it. And so it's not a matter of God of God sitting up in heaven. Yeah, you're not making disciples.
1: You're still not making
0: disciples. And I think sometimes people feel that way. And so we have a tendency, I think, to like give this passage a wide berth. Well, if I don't read it and I don't think about it, it's not there. <laughs> Like your kids, you know, they cover their eyes and they think you can't see them. I think sometimes we do that with this. Because we get afraid. We, we don't know what to say. All those things I mentioned earlier. But what we've got to understand is it's a command. And Jesus will help us. Remember this short little verse? I can do everything through Him who strengthens me. I see that on weightlifter t-shirts. It kind of makes me laugh a little bit. Go read the context of all the things Paul's going through and he's doing right there. He ain't pumping iron. He's locked in spiritual turmoil and struggle in the mission that God has given him to reach the Gentiles. Now, if you want to yell it in the weight room, go for it. You're not going to lose your salvation. I don't think God's going to be mad. But what we've got to understand is that this verse, I can do everything. The everything is everything that God gives me to do or allows to come into my life. I can do it because He will strengthen it's not because I can do it. If I go out during the death, I'm going to go and witness to some people and share the gospel. And then how it works. We're going to see how it works in just a second. But that's something that I really think that can, that can give us some freedom when it comes to making disciples is understanding that you can't do it. There's nothing you and I can do to or there's nothing we can say to another person that is going to transform their heart, but in the power and the filling of the Holy Spirit as the Lord Jesus Christ enables, then there's something there that we don't have on our own that God can move people's hearts. And God can use our testimony and our service to Him to help people grow in the Lord. That's a powerful thought. And so Philippians 4.13, it, it gives me some encouragement. So making disciples is a command, alright? Second, it's a process. It's a process. How many of you, you trusted Christ as your Savior, and then you were like, I will win the, win the world for the Lord. And you never struggled again. No. Some people are like, whatever. <laughs> right? No, we know it's not that way. Hey, you know what? Where from wherever you have grown in your life with Christ, it's been a process. Growth always is. We talked about that in our growth series about a year ago or so. It's always a process. And this is a process, it's a two-part process right here first of evangelism. We gotta share Christ with the lost. People gotta hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. Second Corinthians chapter five. Here, here's, your, here's your passage, Christian. Read this with me. In other words, as or not, not out loud, but just, we'll read it together. <laughs> I can just hear everybody taking off. Um, in other words, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to Himself, not counting people's trespasses against them. And He's given us the message of reconciliation. Isn't that fascinating? That God looked at a lost world and He said, you know what, I, I, could, I could destroy you all, but I am not going to hold that sin against you in a way that keeps me from providing for your salvation. What a patient God. Next Side note, next time you feel that all God has toward you is impatience, think about that. Now, I'm not trying to excuse things we won't deal with in our lives. We need to. But He's long-suffering. He's a patient, loving God. And He looked at this world and He said, I will send a Savior anyway. And He has given to us a message. It is reconciliation. I believe that is an SAT word somewhere. I almost had to look it up. It's a great theological concept of estranged parties who are brought back in a relationship together. Because that's what God wants with every person on the planet. It's what He's made available to every person on the planet. And He's given us a message to go to people and say, Hey, you know what? You're separated from Christ and that's really bad news. But I got some good news for you. He's done everything that it takes for you to be brought to Him. That's the message that we carry with the authority, like Harlan spoke of, of Christ. Therefore, anytime you see a therefore, that's your conclusion, that's your what to do. We are ambassadors for Christ as though God were making His plea through us. Have you ever thought about that? That when we go to talk to somebody about Christ, it is as if God is saying, "Come to me!" And He's doing it through us. That's incredible. You are more than a mouthpiece. You are the heart of the living God, going to a lost person, saying, "Be reconciled. come back to where you belong. come to the place for which you were made." That's powerful. We plead with you on Christ's behalf, Paul says, be reconciled to God. Man, that's our our mission. That's our mission. Romans 10, 14, how are they to call on one they haven't believed in? And how are they to believe in one they haven't heard of? And how are they to hear without someone preaching to them? And how are they to preach unless they're sent? How is your next-door neighbor going to hear about Christ if you don't go? How is my next-door neighbor... You know, just How is the world going to respond in faith to Christ if Christians won't go? Now, I've heard people say that, that the church going into the world to share Christ is God's plan A, and A is no plan B. You know? It's like a football team that goes into a game and says, look, all we can do is run the ball, and that's all we got. So right up the middle, baby. There is no plan B. God intends for us as His ambassadors, His representatives, to go to this lost world with the authority of of the eternal God. (laughs) There's no higher authority. I mean, our land, what? The office of the President of the United States has nothing on this authority. There's no king in history of the world who even comes close to what we have been called to do and the authority with which we've been sent. We gotta go. We gotta go. How do you do it? This is a great way to think about this. My circles of influence. Everybody in this room has some circles of influence in your life. I put some suggestions up here. You can't read them very well, so I'll help you out. Family, work, um, hobbies, school. Those are just some suggestions. Neighborhood circles where I have direct influence into the lives of people that I see on a regular basis. Because I think a lot of times people hear, oh, the Great Commission. I, I just couldn't walk up to a stranger and tell them about Christ. Okay, we'll walk up to somebody who's not a stranger and tell them about Christ. Somebody, did you talk to all the time? Hey, Fred, yard's looking good, man. You fertilized? Yeah, me too. All right, have a good evening. Hey, Fred, man, your yard—your yard, your excuse me, your your yard looks great. Hey, can I talk to you for just a second? You know, Fred. You talk to Fred over the fence or the yard or in the driveway or whatever. I was talking to Bubba the other day, and him and a friend of his went and played golf. And uh, there was a man who came up. He didn't have anybody to play with. And they, you know, I think he asked if he could play in with you guys. Yeah, come on. And, And the friend that Bubba played with said, he said, you know what? You never know. You might get an opportunity to share Christ with somebody like that. You think he's exactly right. If God is sovereign, and He is, and if there are no accidents for the life of a believer, and there aren't, you better believe you might get an opportunity to share Christ with somebody. So circles of influence, right here. Think about yours. Where do you work? Where do you live? Do you attend school? If you're a student, guess what? Not only is your school your circle of influence, every class that you sit in, desk, 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 desk. I don't even know how many that is. There's a whole circle of desks around you. Circle of influence in every class you're in. The sports team you play on. Are you in the band? Uh, you just start if you, start. if you sit down, you draw out some circles, and you say, what are my circles of influence? Where I rub shoulders with people who don't know Jesus. We talk all the time. I'm not scared of them. That is a great place to start. That is... I won't say it's safe, but it's safer, if you will. You know? And so what do you do with these circles? You look, pray, you invest, and you share. Sometimes you just got to take a step back and look. Hmm. Who's around me here? I'm pretty sure they don't know Christ. However, you look. Who can I identify you jot some names down. It's not hard. If you don't know their name, just Man X, Woman X, whatever. Write down their address. And then you know what you do? You pray. Lord Jesus, I got a commission. I got a command. I want to be obedient. I got a circle of influence here. And I'm praying for Man X that you would open his heart if he doesn't know Christ and help him to see his need for Jesus, so forth and so on. And Lord, at the right time, by your Spirit, would you give me an opportunity to talk to Man X about Jesus? And I'm going to be real honest with you, Lord. I, I haven't done this a lot, and I'm a little bit nervous here, but um, I'm willing. And then you watch. okay? And you know what the next thing you do? You invest time. I think one of the mistakes that people think is that, that I have to share Jesus with them now. It can't be tomorrow. Well, oh, if the Spirit is leading you to do it now, please do. But maybe now is not the right time. You say, well, th- th- that can't be possible. Well, I admit there needs to be some urgency with the gospel. But the last time I checked, it's the Holy Spirit who works in a person's heart to convict them of their need for Christ, and we're the mouthpiece that goes, right? So, what you do, you invest time in a relationship with somebody. I, when I was in school, there was a guy who's an evangelist and a really good one. And he, he shares Christ with people everywhere. And he was, he, he, when he was younger, he had a horrible stuttering problem. He said he could barely speak, and the Lord just worked it out. But anyway, this guy said, he said, he, fly, he, he was flying a lot of the time, airplanes. You know, you're going to have a three-hour flight. You've got a neighbor on either side of you. Well, he said, I will talk to someone for at least 30 minutes before I bring up anything about the gospel. Now, I, and I'm sure if the, if the Spirit opened a door earlier than that, he'd go through it. But as a general rule... Listen. Because as you engage in conversation and we just listen to people, you will be amazed what the Lord will put on your mind. Sometimes that door you, you the, the door may swing wide open from something somebody says ten minutes into a conversation. Or maybe you're just listening and you're getting to know them and you're really investing in that person. Okay? And when God gives the opportunity, share. And it doesn't have to be, I'm going to give you the four spiritual laws. Number one, God loves you and has a great plan for your life. You know, you don't want to. (laughs) Remember, these are people. You know? It's look, pray, invest the time. And when God opens the door, share. And if you start to share, and they shut it down, it's cool. Door closed. It's not your responsibility to push doors open. Not your responsibility to save people. Only... Our responsibility to share when God gives the opportunity. Now, how's that for taking the pressure off? That's pretty cool. That's pretty good stuff. Making disciples is a process. The first part's evangelism. The second part is training. It's growing together with the saved. I was, I was walking through the halls this morning, just kind of listening and seeing how things were going. I could just hear the hum and the chatter of voices. As people with their Bibles open downstairs. And I thought, man, that's great. People who are, who are trying to grow together with other Christians. How fantastic is that? Part of the Great Commission. First um, Peter, so get rid of all evil and deceit and hypocrisy and envy and slander and yearn like newborn babes for pure spiritual milk so you can grow up to salvation if you have experienced the Lord's kindness. That's what God wants us to do. You ever say to your kids, ah, why don't you grow up? You know, you probably mean you stop doing that act your age or something. But we were we're to grow up into our what? our salvation. Grow up into who you are in Christ is is what that verse is telling us. Um, Ephesians chapter 4, Paul's making the case where he says that, that God has given spiritual gifts to people in the church. To do what? To equip the saints for the work of ministry, that is to build up the body of Christ, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, a mature person. Attaining to the measure of Christ's full stature, but practicing the truth in love, we will in all things grow up into Christ who is the head. Remember our, remember our, our balance beam there? Evangelism, baptizing in the name, teaching them to obey everything that I have commanded you. They, go, they both go together. And God wants us to do those things together. What does a disciple need to grow? Okay? We look at what a disciple was. On this, we were looking at that making disciples is a process... But what does a disciple need to grow? I think Acts 2.42 really is a great little, in a nutshell, verse. Look at this. They were devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, the breaking of bread, and prayer. Now, real quick, look at these things. Devoting. That was not the one-minute Bible study. I'm sorry. Those are cool. Not knocking them. But if you're trying to live on the one minute Bible study, you may as well try to live on one donut a day and see how that works out. Sorry, you get a little nutrition, but very little. And when those things wear off, my body just, oh. I can tell if I've eaten donuts for breakfast because when the sugar's gone, I just melt. No energy. The one minute Bible study is not going to cut it. You've got to devote yourself to it, and so do I. It's really important. They were devoting. That means they were giving themselves to what? The apostles teaching. Well, what are the apostles teaching? Who did they just been listening to for three and a half years? Jesus, the greatest teacher ever, right? And what do they also know from what they're teaching in synagogue that they grew up hearing? What, what do they also know? The Old Testament. Yeah, the Old Testament. <laughs> They are teaching the Scriptures, and the early church was devoting themselves to that. They're really giving time and energy to learning how to to, to be a disciple of Christ in this new thing called the church, to fellowship. They're doing life together. It's more than Sunday morning, Wednesday night. It's outside of that. It's it's home to home, as we'll see here in a minute. Breaking of bread, very likely, that was observing the Lord's Supper, and they were having meals together. Oh, both and there. And so they're worshiping the Lord Jesus who has just died and and risen from the dead. And they're praying together. Now don't forget, don't forget our our, uh, word right up here at the front. They're devoting themselves to these things. So watch this. We must devote ourselves to learning God's word in the Bible, fellowshipping with one another, worshiping the risen Christ, and to fervent prayer. Now, this is where you pull back. That's your inventory sheet. Fill in the blanks in your life. How you doing? Remember, devoting themselves to... Now, listen, I'm not here to punch anybody and give them black eyes this morning. It's a challenging thought. We devote ourselves to a lot of things. And that's not necessarily wrong. But we've got to devote ourselves to these things if we're going to grow as disciples of Christ. That's just the long and short of it. That's how it works. We've got to devote ourselves to learning God's Word in the Bible. If you're not reading the Bible at least, you're not going to grow. If I'm not reading the I'll, I'll, my growth will stop. That's the interesting thing about, about following Christ and, and growing as a disciple of Jesus. When you stop doing the things that make for growth, you stop growing. You just, Everything, er, Now, we can coast a little while, but it just won't work fellowshipping with one another, worshiping and devoting ourselves to prayer. And so Acts 2.42, if you want to write that down, snap a picture of that up there, that, was a, that is a powerful how-am-I-doing evaluation sheet. And, and not so that you can feel bad about yourself, so you can say, okay, cool, um, I, I prayed more this week. Praise the Lord. And, and I got my Bible open four times this week, man. I'm up from zero. Awesome, and I kind of think I may want some more. It's a great way to evaluate our own growth. So what does a disciple need to grow? Every disciple is responsible first for their own pursuit of knowing Christ. Okay, so Acts 2.42, we need the Word, we need prayer, we need worship and fellowship. Those are our things to do, all right? So as a disciple, you, yourself, and you are responsible for your growth. If you don't invest in it, I can't do that for you. You can listen to sermons all year long and not grow a bit. I mean, you you can have a Bible on your shelf. If you don't read it and put it to work, you won't grow. You're responsible for that. There's got to be some initiative that we have to take to say, I want to follow Jesus. And I will do what it takes to follow Jesus. I wanted to build a kitchen table and I did what it took. To build a kitchen table. question is, what do you want in your life? What do I want? Jesus said this, Luke 9.23, If anyone becomes my follower, he must deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. He did not say, if anyone wants to be my, my follower, have your best Christian friend take up their cross for you, deny their self for you. He didn't say that. It's you. It's what you got to do. And it's what I have to do. Now, the good news is we don't do it alone. But it's what we got to do. If we're going to make disciples and be a disciple in our church. Um, one-on-one discipling relationships accelerate spiritual growth and fruitful ministry. So it starts with every individual's got to make a choice. I will pursue Christ. The second thing that is really valuable is a one-on-one discipling relationship with an older, more experienced Believer. Um, we have some examples, Paul and Timothy in the New Testament. Paul took this guy under his wing, and I man, we got two letters in our New Testament, 1st and 2nd Timothy, and you go read those, and you can just hear the heart of Paul pouring into Timothy. Priscilla and uh, Aquila, a married couple. Aquila's the guy, Priscilla's the girl. Um, there was a guy named Apollos, and he, man, he's out preaching up, preaching up a storm about Jesus. But all he had was John the Baptist's baptism. He'd never been baptized. And they like, yo dude, come here. And it says they took him aside and they explained the way to him more clearly. And he went on like a firebrand after that. And so they built into him. They were ahead of him. They knew more than he did in their walk with Christ. If you have never been discipled by someone, it's an incredibly valuable relationship. Incredibly valuable And so a disciple needs a commitment personally to grow. And it helps if you can meet with someone. And I think often, some of you in here have been walking with the Lord a long time. You know, I was looking at different Scripture passages in the Bible, and what I see is older, experienced, wiser believers seeing someone who's younger and less experienced and taking the initiative to go to that person and say, hey, let's hang out a little bit. God's doing some awesome stuff in your life. I want you to think about that. If you're in this church body and you've never done that with somebody, but you think, you know, i kind of been walking with the Lord for a little while. I might be able to do that. The next level is small groups. They foster relationships, belonging, teaching, and accountability. Sunday school, group, groups that people meet for Bible studies. There's something really special there. In the early church, every day they're gathering in the temple courts and they're breaking bread from house to house. They're getting together in people's homes. They're worshiping the Lord. They're praying together. They are bringing their friends. They are bringing their family. You've got to come and check this out. And and, and they are encouraging one another in that smaller group setting. Finally, the final layer is um, corporate worship brings the body of Christ together for inspiring worship and biblical teaching. They were house to house, but also they met in the temple courts daily. And so these are just these different levels of what a disciple needs. A firm commitment to pursue Christ. A one-on-one relationship with somebody who's been there already is really helpful. A small group to connect with, to study the Bible and share life together. And a large group worship service. These four levels are the four things I think that we've got in our church, in our church body that can help a disciple grow. So when Jesus says make disciples, and we say, well, how? First, tell someone about Christ. And if they respond and ask Jesus to be their Savior, awesome. Now, the next phase, growing together with other believers. Get plugged into a small group of some sort. Get connected with a believer who can encourage them. Be involved in church on Sunday. These are all some of the, the how-tos of, of making disciples. A disciple-making church looks like this. And this is what I want to close with today. Here we go. Everyone believes that making disciples is their responsibility. Everyone. Not only X, Y, Z. Everyone. You, me, person beside you, person across the auditorium, person watching online. If you know Christ as your Savior, it's your responsibility. And it's mine. Second. Numbers of lost people coming into faith in Christ because we're sharing the gospel. A disciple-making church will see lost people coming to faith in Christ. Second, third, numbers of saved people growing together towards spiritual maturity in Christ. Their lives are bearing fruit for the Lord Jesus. Groups are growing as people find fellowship, belonging, accountability and biblical teaching. People are connecting with other believers and there's growth there, both in person and in number. Corporate worship services, awe-inspiring, joy-filled, and Christ-centered. I think that's what a disciple-making church looks like. I think those are the characteristics that you can bear out from the Scriptures. And as we look at our church body here and ask the question, are we a disciple-making church? I think that these are five ways that we can evaluate the level to which we are or are not. And that's really important to do. And you know, internal evaluations, whether it's personal or at work or wherever you are, are never enjoyable. I think it's because they reveal (laughs) what we don't want revealed sometimes. This is a great thing for us to think through. Are we a disciple-making church? To the extent that we are or are or not, is the extent to which we obey or disobey Jesus. And so, what do you want to do? What do you want to do? And then, do you want to be a disciple-making church or not? Do we want to obey Jesus or not? Are we willing to pay the cost and the adjustment in our lives to do what God has called us to do. Making disciples. Fulfilling Jesus' mission for the world. Um, Let me just, at the end, remind you 2 Corinthians 5. God wants to make His plea to a lost world through you, And here's what I want you to do in your mind. I want you to put your name in this. God wants to make His plea to lost people. Now some of you didn't do it, so let's do it again. Put your name in here. When I pause, for me it's like God wants Chris. It's for you. Put your name in there. God wants to make His plea to a lost world be reconciled to God. That's what He wants to do. And He will enable us to do it if we will be faithful. Let's pray. Lord in heaven, we bow our heads before You and we just consider this incredible uh, privilege and responsibility of making disciples and um, going forth to share the love of Christ with people and the good news of the Gospel and in the circles of influence that we've got. And I pray that You would give us the courage, Lord, to look, to pray, and invest in the lives of people that are in our circles. And when you give opportunity, Lord, to share the good news of Christ. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I'm going to hand it over to Harlan. We're going to sing an invitation song. And I would encourage you to answer this question.
1: God, what do you want me to do today? Let's stand for our hymn of invitation. If the Lord's pulling your heart, you may need to come to this altar and recommit yourself to disciple making. To be that person that God wants you to do. I, if, if you aren't challenged, if you're just satisfied where you're at, never telling anybody or trying to tell somebody about Jesus, do me a favor. Come up here. I want to tell you about my Jesus and how He can save your life and make a difference in your life. So you can make a difference in other people's lives. Man, we need folks. Let me be honest with you. The church in America is dying. Did you hear that? It's dying. The church in Texas is dying. The church in Bell County is dying. Let me go further the church in Troy is dying we've got the answer we can make a difference today I challenge you to do that we'll continue on in this series of how to do but today would you make the commitment again maybe coming to the altar and praying or where you'll be standing but making a commitment from this day today if it's up to you this church ain't going to die. You're going to breathe life back into it by telling others about Jesus. But here's my concern is the church as a whole. Worldwide. That's the kingdom. That's what God wants us to impact. Father, thank you for this message. Thank you for the challenge, Lord, in my life. And let me see weaknesses in my life. Of what I need to do. Father I pray. That we would become. That disciple making church that you want us to. That Lord everyone in this place would see themselves as a. Person who is to make disciples. It's not somebody else's job. It's our job because Lord you have put us within that circle of influence. That you have us in for that reason. You don't have any, somebody else there. You have us there. And we're there to make disciples. So, Father speak to our heart. Holy Spirit if someone here does not know Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. I pray today they would ask, ask Jesus to be their Lord. That they would ask for forgiveness of their sins. But Lord today as believers we come. Admitting we're not doing everything that we ought to be doing. Father, may no one leave this place without recommitting themselves to you. For it's in Christ's name I pray. Amen. We'd like to personally thank you for taking the time out of your day to hear our latest message. Do us a favor and send an email to
0: outreach at fbctroytx.org to let us know that you heard us and what you thought of the message. Remember to visit fbctroytx.org to learn more about how
1: we support our local community. Again,